Well, take your Bibles. And, uh... My own? Yep. Yeah. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're only going to be looking at verses 7. Verse 7. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You know, that last song, uh, Darla had me watch a, a video of her Thursday night Bible study. And um, he talked about the rapture uh, in that uh, and, and other things and the, and the seven-year tribulation and things of this nature um, as they're going through a study on eschatology. And, you know, sometimes one of the reasons why we're encouraged to read Revelations is to keep fresh in our mind that he's coming. And he, it could happen at any time. And given the world events, it could surely happen at any time. And so um, that last song, let us never lose hope that he's coming again. And I pray it's in my lifetime. Um, but the Lord knows when, or God knows when, and he will come when it is time. And so for those that we, don't, that we know, don't know the Lord, if we knew that he was coming tomorrow at three, how much more intense would we be in witnessing well, we're supposed to be like that every day. All right. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And uh, let me start by asking um, the husbands. Do you know what your responsibilities are as a Christian husband? Have you ever really taken a hard look at your responsibilities as prescribed by the Word of God? as it relates to your wife. Last week we examined 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6 through 6, as it relates to wives and their submission in the home unto their husbands. Within this particular section of Peter's letter, starting with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, to now 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we're seeing a sub-theme under holiness... And that sub-theme is submission to authority and how we are to live within that submission in holiness and in times of suffering. Now we come to verse 7, where Peter outlines the duties of a husband. Now in relationship to submission in verse 7, he doesn't speak about the submission of the husband to the wife, but how his responsibilities or his responsibilities towards his wife in her submission to him. And so let's examine exactly what God is saying through the Apostle Paul, Peter, as it relates to the responsibilities of husbands. And he says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter begins the same way in which he did at the very beginning of chapter 3 by saying in the same way or in the same manner as your, your uh, um, version might read. And it means that the husband has responsibilities as to his wife's submission because it's not a one-way street. In fact, these responsibilities are even greater 
Because as we covered last week, when we introduced a little bit of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, which is a counterpart to these same very verses, we see that the spiritual leadership of the home has been entrusted to the husband. And it bears much responsibility. And so Peter outlines several responsibilities that husbands have towards their wives. And the first one of these is to live, or as your version says, to dwell with. Now, many of us, as I did when I was studying these passages, ready for this, getting ready for this sermon, I read right past that phrase. But as I began to study each word in the scripture, this phrase came out with a, an understanding that we all need to grasp because it's important. And it provides us actually three things. Yes, just one phrase in the Greek provides us three insights as to its overall meaning. And the first one is loyalty. As a husband, we are to be loyal to our wives. A man is to know his wife and only his wife. As a woman to submit to her husband, a man is to know his wife and to submit to her in loyalty. Matthew 19, 16 says, For there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Marriage is sacred to God. And purity within the marriage is equally sacred. When a man and a woman come together, nothing should separate them, especially when they come together as believers. You know, according to a general social survey, these are disturbing numbers, by the way, 20% of men have cheated on their wives. Now, if we take 20% of anything, that's really not, that's alarming. 20%. In another survey, it's even more troubling, where 74% of men said they would cheat on their wives if they can get away with it. And some studies show that these numbers are very similar to evangelical marriages. That's alarming. That's alarming. In a 2014 survey, the common cause of infidelity within the home on the part of the husband is pornography. Why? Because pornography does something. Pornography reduces the woman to nothing more than an object of pleasure. And it also projects an unrealistic expectation within a relationship, thus creating needs that go beyond the marriage that are acted on. And for those who feel, well, there's nothing wrong with, and I've heard people in the world say this, thank goodness I've never heard anybody from the church say this, or I would have rebuked them. But they say, it doesn't matter as long as you don't act on it. Well, hopefully you've never justified your sin in that manner, if that sin exists in you. Because what does Jesus himself say? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We live by our hearts. 
The heart is the seat of passion and desire and the will of man. As your heart goes, so you go. As your heart goes, so your mind goes. And we know the capability of the human heart. So remember, adultery is just not from a physical nature. It's also from the mind as well. But this phrase also has, but this also, pornography also has damaging effects on a husband's spiritual health and leadership within the home. One cannot view pornography on a habitual basis and expect to have a healthy relationship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit. They're incompatible. We cannot have a healthy and vibrant relationship in Christ by way of the Holy Spirit when we have unrepentant sin, especially the sin of pornography. Now, I understand we have an old nature. And at times, that draws our attention and it ignites desires. But we must resist them in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must get on our knees and pray immediately to be empowered to resist that temptation and to bring every thought into the captive obedience of Christ. Anytime I feel my mind going in any direction that is not of God, that's what I quote 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Lord, bring every thought of my mind into the captive obedience of Christ. And I keep saying it until that thought goes away. And so we must be faithful to our wives, not only physically, but also within our hearts. That's the first thing that that verse, live with or dwell with, reveals. The second thing we must understand is that we are to be affectionate to our wives. We're to be affectionate to our wives. In fact, the phrase live with or dwell with is closely related to the Hebrew phrase to know. And we understand that to know in the Hebrew back in the Old Testament refers to intimacy between couples, married couples. There was a stronger definition of it, but I, I softened it up a little bit. But nonetheless, it's intimacy with your wife. You know, within surveys, one of the main reasons women seek extramarital affairs is due to a lack of intimacy within their relationship with their husband. Whereas men have extramarital affairs because of sexual needs, void of intimacy, women feel neglected. They tend to find it elsewhere in their relationships. Whether it be of the heart or of the physical, they desire more than their husbands are providing. It should never be in a marriage between two believers where the responsibilities for each are spelled out in God's Word. That's why we're covering it this morning, to be reminded of what God's Word says, not only about the women's role, but the men's. Thirdly, we need to understand that to dwell with or to live with is an imperative statement, meaning it's prescriptive, meaning that's what we're supposed to be doing. And the idea is that we are to be beside them. We are to dwell with them. 
We are to spend time with them. Nurturing a relationship with them. You know that phrase? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Not true in a Christian relationship between husband and wife. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. I know what the intent of that verse is. When I went to Korea for a year, right? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. In that case where I was separated from my family for a year, yes, I understand that. But when we live now with our wives and we come home and we go out to the shop or we go downstairs on our computer or we go down and sit in front of the television or we come home, say hi, and we're out with our friends playing darts or whatever it is that you do, you always seem to find something else to do other than spending time with your wife. How is a relationship supposed to be nurtured if you don't spend time with them? That's what they desire. And I'm sure you've heard that. Not from me, but from them. I've heard it. I'm not perfect in this. I'm preaching to me. And so to live and dwell with our wives, we must be true to them. We must be affectionate to them, meeting their intimate needs. And we must spend time with them. And so how are we supposed to do this? Well, Peter answers that question with the second responsibility, and that is understanding. Understand them. The Greek word used here for understanding is gnosis, which means to have knowledge which means to have understanding. The word considerate is also used and may appear in your text as well. And in the context Peter is using, it means to fully understand your wife as to how she feels, how she processes things, how she sees things, how she considers things, how she evaluates things meaning recognize and give to care to them. Care about what they feel. Care about what they care about. Be interested in what drives them, defines them, aligns them. The important things to her life should be important to you. And what makes her feel complete? What makes her feel incomplete? You should know those as well. So that you can minister to your wife as the spiritual leader of your home. Men, in the beginning of our marriage, we were all about these things, right? Because we wanted to win their hearts, right? We're impressing them, right? Darla and I did a little, uh, what is that called, newlywed game? And she said, uh, she grabbed some question off the internet. I don't know what it was. What was your husband wearing? Or what was your husband wearing in the first date? And what were you wearing? And, and I said, she asked me, goes, so what was I wearing when we first met? And I said, jeans and a t-shirt? Safe choice, right? What's the odds? That'd be wrong. I was wrong. She was wearing a sweatsuit. And then I said, well, what was I wearing? And she goes, you were wearing a white hoodie. A white hoodie? Did they even have white hoodies in 1986? I didn't know they did. She said it was white with Adidas. I was like, are you sure you're looking at the right dude? 
You remember incorrectly? Because I don't remember ever having that. But she did, because that's what she's seen. And then she told me what she's seen as my quality. You see, women see with their heart. Men see with their eyes. And so some of those questions, if you've never done that with your wife, it's a fun game. Be prepared to be embarrassed, but it's a fun game. But you know what, guys? They still want you to win their heart. They still want you to win it. You just don't win it. Take the prize and put it on the mantle. You have to win it every day. And they still want to be won by your caring, your knowledge, your understanding of who they are. It also means to understand her spiritually, as a spiritual leader of your home, and what gives her strength, what challenges her, how you can pray and encourage her in her walk. We are to know her spiritual condition. We are to be sensitive to it and minister to it. And we must lead by example in the home as it relates to spiritual leadership. You know, one of the things that I will firmly admit that I've failed in our marriage is praying together often with my wife and studying God's Word with her. I've always taken these endeavors as a personal time of reflection and meditation where I can get alone and be with the God's Word. And that's important to do. But it's also important to come together with your wife and pray, and study God's Word. You know, focus on the family. Did a research on this, and this is what they come up with. When women, or when husbands and wives come together and pray and read and study God's Word, this is what it showed. Clinical research demonstrates that couples experience a great number of marital benefits when they regularly pray together. It increases forgiveness, emotional and sexual fidelity, relational happiness, trust, and unity. It even improves conflict resolution, helping the couple realize that as they have individually been unconditionally forgiven by God, they are to forgive each other. So there's benefits that far out exceed the excuses to come together and pray and study with your wife. And I'd need to do a better job of that. You know, as believers in Christ, we possess an element in our lives that unbelievers do not have. We have direct access to an intimate connection with God the Father. As believing husbands and wives, we too possess an element not found in unbelieving marriages. And that is a married couples who are called to spiritual intimacy with the Father. That's why those statistics of evangelical marriages being similar in divorce and other rates of unbelievers is unacceptable. Because we, as a husband and wife, have an intimate connection with the Father. And we should take advantage of it. David Gerzik makes an interesting point in regards to Peter's teaching and to honor wives when he says this. Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. As believers in Christ, we possess... Oh, <clears throat> and so if we desire to live and dwell with our wives, we must understand our wives personally and spiritually 
And when we do this, we bring them honor. We bring them honor. And the word honor means to have value, to esteem, to prize, to count one as precious. David Gerzik made an interesting point in regards to Peter's teaching to honor wives when he says this. I know that's a lot, but I'll read it to you. This was a radical teaching in the world Peter lived in. In the ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife, and the wife had virtually no rights in the marriage. In the Roman world, if a man caught his wife in an act of adultery, he could kill her on the spot. But if a wife caught her husband, she could do nothing about it or against him. All the duties and obligations in marriage were put on the wife. Peter's radical teaching is that the husband has God-ordained duties and obligations towards his wife, and may I add, will be held accountable for them. Now, for those who hold that the Bible is not progressive towards women's rights, this was radical in the time it was written. But you know what? It's not about whether it's progressive or it's not progressive. It's about what is the truth. And God's Word is true. And it addresses every aspect of our lives to include our marriages. Our marriages. But as I said prior, we tend to take our wives for granted at times. And when we grow older together, we tend to give them less honor. So husbands, let us be reminded by God's word and what he says in addressing that. Let your, fort, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. 28 years John and Kathy can be married. And Kathy knew that. She was just shrugging her shoulders. But you know, sometimes it's kind of fun at your anniversary to go back in time and relive the day that you first met, your first date. What you found, that's what Darla and I were doing with the newlywed game. I lost, by the way. But it's to go back and remind yourself of what attracted you two together. And then live in that. Because what brought you together still exists. You just may not be recognizing it and remembering it. You know, I once heard a comparison of a wife and a husband defined by the glasses that they would be. A wife is a light and delicate wine glass, where a husband is an A&W root beer mug. A wine glass is to be treated with gentleness and care, as it may break at the slightest stress, whereas a root beer mug can be used to bludgeon someone to death. A wine glass holds flowers and keepsakes and rings, whereas a mug holds change, washers, nuts, and bolts. A wine glass must be hand-washed gently and dried with care, whereas a root beer mug can be hosed off and used and dried off with an old rag. A wine glass should be stored in a cupboard or in a special place like a china cabinet to ensure it's safe, and a root beer mug can be put underneath the sink to hold brushes. I think what the writer is saying here, actually it was a pastor that was saying this, is women by nature are more delicate in every way but in a precious way versus the hardened ways of man. And therefore, great care is needed in honoring wives to ensure they remain delicate pieces of fine wear. 
Additionally, we're to honor them because women are the weaker vessels. And this relates to their constitution, meaning how they are made up, and to their physical stature. By and large, men are stronger than women. Now, there are exceptions. I've met some. I've had women on my flight that can outdo a man in a lot of things. By and large, physically, men are more stronger. And women are made up differently than men. As a result, women are more pragmatic than men. Women will evaluate the whole situation and come to a pragmatic decision, whereas men are more black and white, yes or no. If you don't believe me, how many times have children went through their mother to get dad's permission for something? If the children went to the dad, it would have been, no, you're not going out with him. And then mother comes along and says, you know, he's a fine boy. Just if you get to know him, and after about 30 minutes of describing who you were when you first met, the next thing you know, your daughter's out on a date. We find this to be true in Genesis 3, where Satan approached Eve and not Adam. Satan deceived Eve into thinking it was okay to eat the fruit. And in Genesis 3.6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was there to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now why did Satan attempt Eve and not Adam? Well, there's many theological perspectives on that. My sense is because... Adam, who had received the initial instruction not to eat of it, would have been black and white about it. Nope, God said, no, we're not doing it. Mm -mm. Whereas the woman was a bit more pragmatic by way of her makeup. And as a result, evaluated the situation realistically and thought it wasn't wrong to desire those things, was it? It wasn't so much that Eve stood in total defiance of, of God by saying, uh-uh, I'm going to have me some fruit. There's much more of a weakness within her ability and her pragmatism. And sometimes this leads to becoming deceived as in times. We, just, we were talking a little bit about this in Sunday school class where Sarah, do you remember Sarah? After the promise of having a son from Adam through her was not happening, she became pragmatic about it. And she said, Abraham, Go into my servant, so that at least you may have a child. And we know the rest of that story. You know, Darla and I, we, more Darla than me, we had a, a young lady in our Sunday school class years and years and years and years ago. Godly woman, newer scriptures, raised in a home, always an example in the class. And she had a conversation with Darla one day about, you know, I know I'm going to marry this guy, so do you think it would be okay if I slept with him? She already knew the answer before she asked it. But because women see from their heart, whereas men see more from their eyes, women have a more pragmatic and more loving way of seeing things, and sometimes that can get in the way to being deceived. And so understanding that women are weaker vessels physically and by way of their nature, husbands, 
You were admonished to honor them and serve them in weakness and to be their strength physically and to protect them and to lead them spiritually, which is our responsibility. In fact, there's an old term for this, and it's called chivalry. It was during the time of the Christian knights. And chivalry, the combination of qualities expected of an ideal Christian knight, especially courage, honor, courtesy, justice, readiness to help the weak, and to honor women. Some say it's dead. But as one commentator says, Peter was the first to write about chivalry. Husbands, your, wi- your wives are looking for her knight in shining armor. Are you her knight in shining armor? Do you honor her? Do you protect her? Do you help her? Do you know her? It's what God's Word's calling us to do. Another reason we're to honor them is because they are joint heirs in Christ. Wives are called to salvation no different than their husbands. It's a true blessing when husband and wives come together in Christ at the same time, but that's not the norm. We discussed a little bit about this last week where women who come to Christ, the families tend not to follow, but when men come to Christ, the families tend do to come to follow. We've seen that with Cornelius, and we see that with the Philippian jailer in Acts. In fact, I had a young man tell me one time that he would like to give his life to the Lord the same time as his wife will, and that he wanted to wait to do it until she was ready. That's admirable. That's very considerate. It's very loving. But then I explained to the young man that today is the day of salvation. And that when the Lord is calling you, wooing you by way of the Holy Spirit, you need to respond individually because salvation is individually secured. And because of this, we are joint heirs as there is no distinction as it relates to the heirs in Christ. Husbands is not above their wives, and wives are not above their husbands. God shows no favoritism as it relates to salvation. That's why Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, and female, excuse me, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. No matter where life may place us in this world, whether rich or poor, whether you are an earthly master or an earthly servant, a leader or a follower, a male or a female, in Christ there is no distinction. And although we may be aligned by way of traditions, rules, and roles that determine our place within this world, we are all equals in Christ and joint heirs with Him. Husbands, never forget that. Wives, never forget that. 
And so within these verse, we see three responsibilities of a husband, and that is to live and dwell with them well, to understand them, and to honor them. And what happens when this doesn't occur? Peter says that our prayers will be hindered. Look, how we live on this earth in all the ways of the Lord's instructions has either a positive or negative effect on our relationship with God the Father. We cannot be one who is harsh with our wives and then seek the gentle care of the Father in prayer. We cannot be indignant towards our wives and then ask God to be understanding of us and to give us mercy. We cannot ignore our wives and treat them as nothing more than objects and yet plead to God for a deeper commitment in relationship to Him. We cannot shrug our responsibilities as husbands and then call upon the Lord for His rich blessing. And Peter echoes this when he describes prayer in his epistle as he addresses prayer in a different perspective than we're normally used to. Look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What would hinder your prayers? Your conduct as husbands. Keep that. Now, go down to verse 10 through 12. In verse 10 through 12, it reads, for whoever desires to love, to, to to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Another example of how you live determines how you pray. Look at verses chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter identifies that the prayers that he's identifying is not only prayers affect the way we live, but how we live affect our prayers. And our prayer life is the most intimate thing that we have in our relationship with God the Father. It's the most important aspect of our relationship with God the Father is the intimacy of prayer. And so how we live as husbands will determine our prayer life. Think of it. It makes sense, doesn't it? When everything's going well in your life, right? You have no needs. You have no troubles. You have no issues. You have no, no, no problems, right? No concerns. Does your prayer life go down? But boy, when those trials come, those troubles come, difficulties of life, issues that you've got to deal with, do your prayers increase? I think we know the answer to that. You see, we're all called to holiness in every aspect of our lives, in every aspect of our lives. This is what Peter's talking about. Holiness is a call to a higher standard of godly living and righteousness being lived out. And make no mistake, gentlemen, we are called to holiness in our relationship with our wives. And if we fail in doing this, it will affect our relationship with the Father. So husbands, let me ask that question one more time. Are you aware of your responsibilities as it relates to being a husband? 
biblically. Within just one verse, Peter reveals that we have three responsibilities with one positive or negative outcome as determined how we do those or hold to those responsibilities. As a husband, we are to live and dwell with our wives by being loyal to them and to them only by way of the heart and the mind. We are to understand them individually and spiritually and serve them. We are to honor them and support them and lead them as the weaker vessel, but accept them as equals and joint heirs. And when we do, our relationship with them will not only be healthy, will not only be vibrant, but it will also enhance your relationship with the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in just one verse, you express so many concepts, so many responsibilities that we have as husbands. Father, within these segments of scriptures that we've studied in the last two weeks,